Hi listeners, uh, welcome back to Mentally Sounds Podcast. This is episode 14. If you're listening on Spice FM, the 98.8 FM, we welcome you. If you listen to our social media platform, we welcome you as well. Um, yes, episode 14, here we are. Um, our therapist Nikki isn't here with us. I believe that she's going to be in for episode 15. But I have a I have a full guest uh, ready for the for the full podcast, uh, and you know we're going to talk about a particular issue regarding a very important uh, venue in the town uh, that's under threat. So we'll be chatting about that with our with our guest. Uh, just a reminder, a disclaimer: we are mentally sound. We're a, a mental health show about uh, mental health, mental well being. So as a disclaimer, um, be warned that we we will be talking about some very difficult issues, and we always say it before every every show every podcast um if you have any issues um of course our therapist nikki is there to, to answer your queries but more importantly do see your gp and i know lockdown has been tough um and some of us are a bit apprehensive about seeing our gps clinics hospital and so forth but they are there and please do go if you feel that you need to um if you have something that concerns you regarding your mental health um so yeah, uh, just a reminder that uh, you know uh, this podcast series. So we are essentially a radio show, um, but Spice FM have very generously given us a slot so we can broadcast these um, these these podcasts. So um, yes, uh, we normally are a fortnightly show, but these podcasts have been happening monthly throughout lockdown. Um, and yeah, we thought that we'd we'd put this out there to to for all our listeners because of course lockdown it blinded blindsided all of us. Um, and I, I don't I don't know of anyone who hasn't had their their, their well being affected by this. Um, lockdown, of course, is eased. Um, although I think we're still technically under lockdown, but um, most of us are trying to get to some back some way of normality, whatever normality is, and we are, of course calling this a new normal we did do a couple of podcasts regarding the new normal so do please listen back to them so anyway back to back to this episode episode 14 and uh, i'm joined by uh, our special guest uh, mark anderson who's a, a trustee of the charity road to recovery he's going to tell us all about that also about uh, the crucial factor of a venue i mentioned before uh, george street social which is a venue uh, i think is around the corner from uh, newcastle college uh, it's a place I pass by when I'm into town, being being a West End lad. Um, it is a, a venue of all sorts. It has a dry bar. It has a bit of a, a, a theatre space. Um, it's a cafe. It's run by uh, in in association with the Road to Recovery. Um, different people run it, and of course, I thought that we should talk about this because I remember seeing a, a, an article in the Castle Chronicle that the venue was, was, was under threat. I tried contacting a couple of people uh, with no luck, but fortunately another contact did come into into my timeline to ask me if we're still, we're still doing the, the shows and we were all being podcast form. And he provided us with this guest, which is Mark Anderson, as I said. Uh, first of all, Mark, how are you? Hi, I'm really good, thank you. Thanks for uh, for having me on the podcast. No, ple- pleasure's all ours. Um, before we talk about George Street Social, so we were, we were chatting before before I pre- hit the record button. Tell us first of all about the Road to Recovery project, the, the charity. Yeah, the, the Road to Recovery Trust is, uh, do you know, I don't know exactly how long it's been around. It's six or seven years ago, it was set yeah. up by uh, a group of, uh, of people that were, were recovery themselves. So people that had suffered from uh, from drug and alcohol addictions um, to try and help other people to recover from um, their, their addictions to drugs, to alcohols, mm-hmm. 
or to harmful behaviours like gambling and um, overeating or bulimia or anorexia, that kind of stuff. They were heavily involved in, in setting up the, the Oak Trees rehab centres in Newcastle and Gateshead and Shields. Yeah. Um, and uh, three, four years ago, uh, they opened the George Street social venue that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is a cafe, performance space, all of the things that you said it was. Mm -hmm. And it's become a kind of social hub, a drug and alcohol-free space that um, provides a, a safe social space for people recovering from addiction. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the, the sort of core activity of the trust. Yeah. The trust is there really to promote 12-step recovery, recovery mm -hmm. from addiction, recovery mm -hmm. from um, uh, from harmful behaviours. Yeah. Um, and it's it's run into a little bit of tr trouble recently. Mm -hmm. Before I get on to that, um, and of course on this show we do encourage guests, that, you know, and, and my co-host Stephen and myself have always been quite candid about our own stories, but you have a particular backstory. I mean, if you want to share that with us, be feel free to do so. Talk as candid as you, as you like. I suppose this is essentially how you got involved in the first place, isn't it? It, it is, yeah. I'm, I'm an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Um I haven't had a drink now for seven years, but mm. uh, most alcoholics in recovery, uh, certainly members of Alcoholics Anonymous, of which I am one, yeah. um, would talk to you about being in recovery rather than recovered. Mm -hmm. um, addiction isn't something that goes away. Um, mm. Although I haven't had uh, a, a drink or taken any drugs for seven years now, mm -hmm. um, I still describe myself as an alcoholic. Mm. Um, it was period of active alcoholism that nearly yeah. killed me yeah. um, uh, after 15 years of, of really chronic alcoholism. Mm -hmm. uh, by the end, I was I was drinking towards three bottles of vodka a day. Yeah. Um, I was in and out of hospitals. I've been to rehab. I, um, uh, I, I was as close to death as you can be yeah. without actually dying. Yeah. And, and at that point, I was lucky in that I was introduced to rehab services in Newcastle, the Road to Recovery Trust and mm. Alcoholics Anonymous all mm. at the same time. They saved my life. They helped me to stop mm. drinking and stay stopped. It's been a tough journey, but um, one day at a time, I am in recovery. I have managed to stay sober for that time, and I feel fit and healthy. Brilliant. Alcoholism is... It, it's not just a physical addiction. It's it's a mental problem. Mm -hmm. It's uh, 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 the the physical addiction to alcohol disappears quite quickly. Mm -hmm. It can take a, a few weeks to detox from from alcohol, and it once it's left your body. But um, the the mental addiction to yeah. to alcoholism um, stays around for the rest of your life. And the Road to Recovery Trust and the twelve step fellowships I've mentioned, like mm -hmm. Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. They're there to help you stay stopped. Uh, I'll always be grateful to them for the for the help they gave me. I mean, I'm I'm always of that. I've always been of that belief that um, when we talk about such addictions, such as alcoholism, there's always some a mental health sort of driver behind it that, that's sort of driving it. Um, were there particular issues going on in your life that that you wanted to block out essentially, or was it? Um, it's you know it, it's really complex. You're you're right. Um, there are always drivers for, mm. for any addiction, and um, a lot of people that I talk to um, in addiction circles will tell you that most addiction comes from trauma. Yeah. Um, something in your life um, mm. that has um, caused you to approach drugs or alcoholism uh, for support, mm. and it becomes a sort of an inappropriate reaction to a trauma. Mm. Um, uh, I've done quite a lot of therapy. I've, I've looked quite deeply at, at what it might be in my case.
case. And I still don't know 100%, but I moved around a great deal when I was a mm -hmm. kid. My dad was in the RAF, so it was a very right. sort of unstable, constant movement, always the new boy at school, yeah. um, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then as I got older, I found that um, go to alcohol as the kind of classic stuff, like the, the icebreaker, the thing yeah. that made me feel less uncomfortable. Yeah. I used it to change the way that I feel, mm. and I became dependent on it to do that to a point where um, I couldn't do anything without alcohol. Would you would you say you introduced alcohol sort of earlier than, well, I guess, most people were? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I can remember the first time uh, I drank alcohol and, and noticed the effect. Um, I was probably 12, and, and although I didn't become a regular drinker at 12, mm. I became seriously attracted to it at that age. Mm. I drank. I thought, I feel normal. I feel mm. different. I feel better. Mm. And I was always looking for alcohol after that. Yeah. And by the time I'd hit sort of 15, 16, I was a regular drinker. Mm. Um, and looking back, uh, although some of my other friends were drinking, I was mm. always drinking more than them, you know, mm. uh, and always chasing it, looking mm. for the next one. Mm. Um, uh, I thought it was normal at the time, yeah. um, but looking back, it, it was far from that, you know. And at what stage did you recognise that, that, you know, that, that sort of classic milestone of that, you know, I do have a problem and it needs to be dealt with? It took me ages. Yeah. Um, I drank through my teens and my 20s. I went to university in Sunderland mm -hmm. and I, I worked in sales and marketing. And mm -hmm. in all of those environments, you could kind of hide in plain sight. Yeah. It was acceptable in sales and marketing circles to, you know, you're always celebrating. We're going out to celebrate this, we celebrate that, blah, blah, mm. blah. And hard drinking, hard playing people were, were all around me. Yeah. Um, but again, they couldn't see just how hard I was hitting it compared to them. Mm -hmm. I would leave parties early so I could go home and drink properly. Right. And um, I didn't, I realized I had, I drink, drank more than everybody else, but I made those excuses like, mm -hmm. oh, well, look, it's not that bad. I've got a great job. I'm doing really well. I'm successful. I've got married now. I've got kids now. I've got a car on the drive. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Mm -hmm. And then I got to the age of about 40 and I realized that the drinking was controlling me, not mm -hmm. the other way around. Mm -hmm. um, and I realized that, you know what, if I had to stop, I couldn't. Yeah. Uh, and I did, I tried a few times, you know, just, right, I'm just not going to drink anymore. Mm. And I, I, by then I, I was physically addicted as well mm. as mentally addicted. Mm. I would get the DTs. Mm. Towards the end, I ended up in hospital just by stopping mm. drinking. Yeah. You know, it's dangerous to just stop suddenly when you're mm. so dependent. Yeah. And I, I would have blue light ambulances at the door because I'd had a fit right. uh, trying to stop. Mm. And uh, that's... That's the big message, you know. Okay, so when I stop drinking, I end up in hospital. I've mm. probably got a problem here. Yeah. yeah. Um, and obviously, at that point, uh, I sought some serious professional help. But mm. you kid yourself for years and years and years that it's all right, it's all right, it's all mm. right. And, and along with it, I had all sorts of mental health issues. Mm. I had serious depression treated mm. by a doctor, serious anxiety treated by a doctor. Mm. And of course, pouring all this alcohol into me. Then the medication and the treatments they were giving me for that just weren't working. Mm. You know, you take antidepressants and alcohol at the same time, mm. one cancels the other out. Yeah. Um, so they couldn't do anything with my mental health because mm. I was pouring alcohol on me. Mm. Um, psychiatrists refuse to talk to you if you're an alcoholic. Mm. They just there's nothing they can do for you mm. until you stop drinking. So, so 
in, in terms of your recovery, do, um, I, I think I was going to ask you a question about peer pressure, but I think you kind of touch on it. I know peer pressure has been an issue with my own relationship with alcohol, but when when you have things something like peer pressure, do you then did you find peer support immensely valuable in terms of your recovery? Because I know um, in in my own situation, um, it certainly was. Did you feel that with you, sort of you know, some of a, a camaraderie of people who 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 feel. I can't stress enough how important that is. Yeah. Um, the, the common thing about 12-step recovery groups, uh, like Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous, is regular meetings with other people that yeah. are just like you, mm-hmm. other addicts. You know, mm-hmm. So I can go and sit in a room with 15, 20 other alcoholics and know yeah. that they've had the same shared experience as me, mm-hmm. the same shared jeopardy as me. Yeah. You know, They're not going to laugh at or think it's odd mm-hmm. that I've behaved in certain ways because they've all done it. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe you can get well from addiction without peer support because yeah. I've tried you know I tried it without AA yeah. and failed mm-hmm. I tried it with AA and one day at a time I am succeeding you know mm-hmm. and I really think the weekly uh, at, the, at the start it was daily I was going to meetings every day mm-hmm. uh, just to, to touch people that were like me and yeah. get that support you know yeah. and, and share their experience we have a buddy system called sponsoring in 12-step recovery mm-hmm. where somebody who's been in recovery for a much longer period than you will help you mm-hmm. you know somebody to call at three o'clock in the morning when you're terrified yeah. um, somebody to run something past when you know wow. you're having a problem okay. and i do that for other people now and, wow. and um and the person who did it for me mm. was was a lifesaver you know uh, so yeah peer support absolutely critical Brilliant. yeah uh, it was it was fantastic so on to on to George Street Social because I I think um you know that that word addiction it it's 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 the essence of this place isn't it because um so 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 you have the dry bar so you know that you know um and I think am I right that it's the was it the first dry bar to be established in Newcastle is that right or was it um it, it was yeah there there wasn't one in existence before George Street Social because I know there's been one in Middlesbrough that's been open for a few years now I remember yeah, the that the road um, yeah. Uh, yeah, they, they were doing a great job down there. And there, there's one in Manchester, there's one yeah. in Leeds, you know, there's been a few. Yeah. Uh, and there's several in London, but yeah. uh, nothing in Newcastle. Mm-hmm. And, and that just meant that if you wanted to meet up with a recovery group, you had to do it in McDonald's, you know? Yeah. And, and, and that's mm-hmm. just not suitable. No, and, and there was nowhere to go to socialize with other addicts. Yeah. Yeah. There, there wasn't a bar, mm-hmm. you know? And, and we've had sort of like live music performances, theatre performances, just somewhere to go and kick back mm. where you know you're safe, you know? I think in my, for my own experience, I had to swap the pub for, for cafeterias. I mean, I'm no, I'm no big lover of, uh, you know, I mean, I do like me cuppa, but um, my, my substitute of alcohol was, was uh, iced lattes. Uh, <laughs> and it's become my thing now. And, uh, you know... Just to to go in there with a good, with a, a good book or with friends or, or my laptop yeah. is is just like if, if 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 you know talking about lockdown that's probably been the thing I've missed most. But you're right, you know, I, you know, I, um, this sort of it's it's with guys, isn't it? The macho environment that we that w- when we converge, it, the pub has always been that kind of you know we we talked about it before because we did a we did a podcast uh, on alcoholism. And particularly the the rise of the sales of alcohol when when you know when lockdown started, I guess you know, in, in sort of, I guess in you know to to coincide with rising people, you know, the rise anxiety of people are just how they how they you know, 
going to cope with this 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 sort of sudden situation that we all found ourselves in. Um, but yeah, I mean, dry bar. I've yet to I've yet to go in one properly. Um, but uh, so yeah, lockdown happened, and uh, as I said, blindside. It's also blindside venues. I, we we I've talked to uh, musicians and artists in previous podcasts about how um, not only their livelihoods are, are looking um, in very precar in very precarious uh, situation, but but venues as well, particularly the smaller independent ones. Um, so tell us about that. Um, when when COVID hit, what were the yeah. first what were the first things that happened, which meant that you knew that you know this um, this the future is not looking too bright at the moment. Well, it, it hit um, the Road to Recovery Trust and George Street Social as hard as everybody else. You yeah. know, we've got a we've got a cafe space and meeting spaces. So mm -hmm. and both of those were closed immediately. You know, yeah. so we've got. Um, uh, that safe recovery space was no longer available. Mm -hmm. It meant we had to furlough staff. You know, we had yeah. some full-time members of staff there. We mm -hmm. had a lot of volunteers as well, but we had to furlough those immediately. Mm -hmm. And suddenly that safe meeting space wasn't available anymore. Mm -hmm. The meeting rooms upstairs, which the, the different uh, fellowships like Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous used for their meetings, mm -hmm. suddenly they couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. um, and they're vital for their recovery. Now, mm -hmm. fortunately... A lot of the recovery meetings were just moved to Zoom. Mm -hmm. You know, I do two or three Zoom meetings a week now with people, yeah. and it's fine. You know, it's a yeah. it's a pale substitute, but it is a substitute. Yeah. But we couldn't substitute the cafe space. Yeah. And um, the the second sort of like hammer blow was that a lot of the funding mm -hmm. um, that George Street Social, the cafe dry bar, relied on, started to dry up. Um, mm. Some of it was just diverted because of covid elsewhere it just mm -hmm. wasn't available anymore and some had come um uh to a natural end anyway yeah and uh and our ability to raise new funds and raise new funding was of course smashed by covid there was nobody mm -hmm. working you couldn't mm -hmm. get hold of anybody mm -hmm. so we're in a situation now where we still have some money so we we do plan to reopen george street albeit in a socially distanced way um, end of August, beginning of September, mm -hmm. but we're perilously short of money now. Mm -hmm. We um, we're fundraising like crazy um, to, uh, to to pay the the staff that are there, pay the rents, you know, pay yeah. the rates, pay the mm -hmm. bills, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, we're we're kind of trying to backfill the lack of money while new funding streams come along. You know, yes. we've got a, a fundraising team that'll do the usual sort of lottery bids and mm. health england bids you know mm. the big chunks of money mm. um but at the moment we've got um people doing all sorts of stuff just to raise a few hundred here mm. a thousand there that mm. kind of stuff mm. um because without that um uh we we're, we're going to really struggle and uh, it would be a disaster it's become the real heart of 12-step recovery in mm. uh, in newcastle you know mm. um the cafes regularly sort of has 50 people in it yeah. There's 20 recovery meetings a week take place in the place. Yeah. Um, for it to disappear would be absolutely tragic. Yeah. I don't think there's any immediate danger of it um, uh, of it of it failing. But if we don't do something now, mm. it will. So we, we, we're yeah. taking action now. Yeah. So you mentioned that there's different things happening in terms of fundraisers, but the 12th of August, there's a particular fundraiser coming up, isn't there? Yeah, um, uh, we've got some uh, crazy people throwing themselves out of an aeroplane. 
um, <laughs> one of these charity parachute jumps. Um, right. If you go to the Road to Recovery Trust website um, or the George Street Social Facebook pages, you'll yeah. find the details of it. We've got a Just Giving page and all the usual stuff going. So mm-hmm. if anybody wanted to help us with that, go there and mm-hmm. do that. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, but uh, Nicole, Stevie, I can't remember the other two guys' names. We've got four people. Um, hurling themselves out of an aeroplane for us, which wow. is fantastic. Um, we've got various other fundraisers. There's, there's an art auction going to happen later in mm. August. There's a, a, a fantastic group called Artists in Recovery, um, uh, a group of, says it on the tin, artists that are in recovery from, from addiction are going to auction some of their artworks okay. and give the money directly to the trust to help save um, uh, George Street. Mm. Um, and... Uh, we would normally have sort of the kind of social fundraisers that um, that we can't have at the moment. You know, yeah. we can't have an open mic night. We can't um, run theatre shows, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so we're we're trying to think a bit laterally about so you're what thinking we can outside do. the boxes is what yeah. a, lot, a lot of people are. Yeah, we've got a um, uh, uh, a lady who's been uh, crocheting um, rainbows for the right. people and selling those. You know, yeah. all sorts of weird stuff has been going on. But yeah. It really helps. Every hundred quid, you know, makes a difference. Mm. So uh, uh, anything and everything has been considered. Uh, what What are the, I mean, for people who want to um, uh, raise the plight of George Street Social, um, you know, of course, they can buy the, these fundraisers, but is there any other way, do you think, that we can amplify the voices? So, I mean, would, would lobbying local government be an option? Would, you know, I don't know, taking spaces out in, you know, in particular newspapers or getting getting testimonies of people who, who who are strong advocates of George Street Social, what it means to them. Is there any other way that people out there can sort of do things? Uh, I, yes, of course. Um, get to know us. It, it would be mm. a, a really big help, you know. Yeah. Go to the website and the Facebook page, find out who we are, and then tell other people about it. And if you yeah. do have an opportunity to be an advocate for, um, for, re- for recovery, mm. um, talk about us mm. uh, i think we've been a, a bit of a, a victim of our own success we're really well known in the recovery community itself yes. if you have a prediction you're likely to know who the trust are and mm. who um the george street social are if mm. you don't you've probably never heard of us mm-hmm. uh, and we now realize that was a massive weakness so mm. you can help us by getting to know us and telling other people about mm. us um, we're fighting hard to sort of make sure that the fund holders, the people that have the cash out, know who we are. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it would definitely help to have a better sort of public profile in mm. the northeast than we have right now. Mm. Yeah, because it reminds me of a, a similar campaign. Um, so a previous guest to, on the show was the um, Northumberland Domestic Abuse Services. And at a, a point a couple of years ago, I think, they were under threat of closure. So... They on their website, they just got all their supporters, including local politicians, to um, put in video testimonies of what the um, what what the the centre means to them, how it's helped out, how how important they think it is, and it managed to you know turn it around and be successful. And me and Steve did one in the studio as well. So um, yeah, yeah, people listening out there, um, if you I'm sure that if you've got other ways to 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 amplify the voice of uh, George Street Social. Um, I would encourage them to get in trust with you, as as would you, wouldn't you? And so, absolutely. Yeah. is the website. Mm. Um, search for Road to Recovery Trust or George Street Social on Facebook, and you'll find us. Um, yeah. Say hello. You know, get in touch with us, mm. um, and um, uh, and get to know us. 
and spread the word to everybody else. I love the idea of, uh, of video testimonials. I'm going to steal that. Okay, no, um, take it, take it, please. Uh, and uh, get some of our people because people love us. Mm. You know, the people that have been helped by us. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. The people in recovery, they faced death, you know. Mm. Uh, and when you recover, you develop a strong sense of gratitude. Mm. Uh, so, um, yeah, I think we should collect some of those testimonials. Mm. And, and show the fantastic lives that are available to people mm. outside of addiction. You know, yeah. if you can get through it, and recovery definitely is possible, mm. you can be free of addiction. Mm. Your life beyond it is, mm. is can be fantastic. You know, yeah. I've recovered my life. You know, yeah. I've gone from nothing back to where I was um, mm. before it was all taken away from mm. me um, through these organisations. Mm. You know, it's, it is possible. Mm. Going back to what uh, pre-lockdown, I mean, what what were the the then future plans of George Street Social? Were that you did you have certain ambitions that you you were hoping to get to before before the pandemic hit? The the overall ambition of the of the trust has always been to um, to break the stigma around addiction, to try and get over the message that people that are addicted um, are suffering from illnesses. They mm. are good people trying to get well, not bad people mm. that are uh, weak, feeble or stupid. Um, yeah. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, I'm going to be an alcoholic. Yeah. You know, it's just, it, it's it's something that happens to you. Mm. Um, uh, so breaking that stigma about it, having people like me and other people in the trust openly talking about their addiction. I describe myself mm. as an alcoholic in my professional life. Mm. You know, I've got, I don't care who knows um, because I want them to see that I am a recovering alcoholic. Mm. Um, so breaking that stigma was really important and, and, and providing a sort of um, uh, a, a place for people to go and socialize and be together was important too. Yeah. We just started a home food delivery service. Um, oh yes, uh, I heard about this. Tell us about that. Yeah. It was really great. It was really fantastic. Um, it, it, it started it in a very small way. People that were on benefits, that were freshly sort of like um, struggling with uh, with addiction, perhaps they were early in recovery. Um, we've, we we were cooking food in George Street Social and delivering it to people. Mm. Sometimes they were picking it up from the cafe. Sometimes they were coming to the cafe, and sometimes mm. it was home. Then the pandemic hit, and no one could get out. Before we knew it, we were delivering four hundred meals on a Friday to people yeah. across Tyneside yeah. because they couldn't get out and couldn't get it themselves. Yeah. And we did that every week for, I think, um, 16 weeks. But again, mm. the money ran out, you know. Mm. Um, it's cooking 400 meals and delivering it sounds easy. It's mm. not. It's mm. expensive and it takes a lot of time. So, mm. again, that sort of the, the, the legs were chopped out by, uh, by COVID, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, it created the demand and sort of um, uh, destroyed it at the same mm. time. But that was a great service that we wanted to do more of. Did you also feel, when when establishing the the venue itself, that you were responding also to a lot of the the services and and that that had been, I guess, cut over um, Tyneside over the last few years? You know, be it you know, because because of course, I know I know uh, the George Street Social is is in the centre of town, but it leans towards. You see, it leans towards the West End as I sort of pass it. As I, you know, it's physically located just behind the college. So yeah, yeah, that's we're, right, yeah. We're, we're on the end of town. And the West End itself, I know, being from there, has is, is, is suffered immensely from services being cut. So, did you feel that there was some sort of filling of a certain void that there was happening as well, given that people who either would be put on a waiting list or couldn't find what was what was happening or didn't know where to go to, and suddenly there was George Street Social, you know? Yeah. 
nobody was doing what George Street Social does. Mm. Um, uh, you're quite right. Funding for um, addiction and recovery services was being cut across the board over a number of years. So uh, any, the idea of any kind of drop-in sensor or peer yeah. support network, yeah. um, which did used to exist, just weren't there anymore. So mm. sure, it was a reaction to that. I've always mm. said that George Street is, if we don't do it, nobody else is going to. It just uh, there isn't the money or the will, uh, mm. political will to do it. So um, if we disappear, then the, the, the service disappears with it. Um, yeah. it's, no one else is going to do it. Excellent. Well, thanks for your time, Mark. We reached the, the end there, the, the first segment. So um, if, if anyone wants to know more about uh, not just George Street Social, but, but yourself and, of course, the Road to, Road to Recovery Project, um, what, what the details are, social media presence and web, websites they can visit? So um, the website is roadtorecoverytrust.org.uk. Mm-hmm. That will get you straight to, uh, to, the, to the trust website. And just search for um, George Street Social um, in Facebook and you'll find us there as well. Um, there's quite a lively Facebook page. There's 1,200 followers on it, um, all from the local area. So, uh, so try that too. Um, and uh, you can find me, Mark Anderson, on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to contact me directly, go there. That's the quickest and easiest way to find me. Brilliant. And uh, good luck to those uh, jumping out of the plane on, on, on Wednesday either. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, there's no way I'm joining them, but um, I'm sure it'll be fun for them. But yeah. Uh, they're, they're raising some good money. Yeah, good, kids, really. good, good for them. Good for them. Yeah, it's not. I mean, I, I can do things like, you know, abseil before, but jumping out of a plane might be just a bridge too far for someone, even like myself. <laughs> but there you go. Yeah, it's good that yeah. we have people out there that do these these sorts of things. But yes, this is the end of the first segment. So thank you very much, Mark Anderson, and of course we we wish uh, George's social all all the luck in the world, and hopefully at the other the other end of this. Um, if we do get to the other end, I think we will get to the other end, but it'll, it'll look a lot different, I think. But um, yeah, please, please join us in the studio, and we'd love to, you know, have a, a chat across the um, across the microphones at the other end of the tables. It'd be good, great to meet you in person. But yeah, good luck with everything, and uh, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you guys will pull through. But as you say, uh, we need the help, as do all the other all the other projects. But yeah, George uh, Social is is the most unique of venues, and. Uh, it certainly needs to to have a, a stable place within the city centre. So, thanks for your time, Mark. No, thank you. Really appreciate the support. Thanks oh, you're a lot. You're very welcome. Okay. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome back to the second segment of Mentally Sounds Life and Lockdown podcast. We're at episode fourteen. Hope you enjoyed the the first segment that with Mark there from George Street Social and and uh, Road to Recovery as well. And uh, good luck to the parachute jumpers. Uh, let's hope that you raise lots of money. And good luck, Stro- uh, George Street Social, a, a very awesome place, a very unique place, and deserves to be forever part of Newcastle. So we're on to the second segment now. I've got a, another special guest. Um, her name is Verity White. She's a singer, songwriter, uh, all round creative person. That lady. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she's kindly agreed to be part, featured in this in this second part. Um, it's going to talk about her her own backstory, um, also about the future of the arts. So we've got a lot to talk about there. And I thought uh, she's she's joining me all the way down from Cheltenham. So I thought it'd be interesting to get a perspective of what's happening down there, especially as regards to the arts. So um, first of all, Verity, as as it is a mental health show, how are you? How's your mental being health been throughout lockdown? So 
month has been genuinely up and down. Like mm-hmm. um, today, I feel quite good. It's been sunny outside. Everything's been feeling quite nice, almost vaguely normal. Um, but I've had days where I couldn't get out of bed. Like genuinely, it's been really, really, really tough some days and anxiety days and depression days and just days where where I've been like, what am I even doing with my life? Like, why am I trying? Why am I trying so hard? Like, what am I doing? But actually, like, at the root of it all, and like sitting down and really thinking about it, it's just been this fire to help other people and move on. And like, genuinely with, obviously with my music, like we talked about, like with with that, to genuinely just think I can maybe help someone else feel better. For mm-hmm. me, that's been what it's all about. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Verity actually got in touch first time around a couple of years ago about wanting to be on the show. And um, so throughout these log, uh, podcasts, I obviously prioritise people who've been wanting to come on the show. Uh, and I found Verity's conversation. We still can't remember as to how it came about. <laughs> I don't know. I can't even remember it, mate. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> but good job. No, no. I mean, I've got a terrible memory as well. So. <laughs> but um, no, it's, it's awesome. That, yeah, so from, it to, you know, and talk as candidly as you like. And, and, and if it... Um, don't feel pressured that you have to talk about certain issues, but in terms of your own backstory and your diagnosis, what is it and how has it affected you and also within the kind of confines of your own work as in, you know, singing and, and songwriting? It's It's been a weird one, I'm not going to lie. So back to like all the way back to when I was about 10 years old, mm-hmm. I was writing songs about how I wanted to kill myself, which isn't looking back necessarily that normal for a 10 year old um i know that i was very sick my parents had a divorce i wasn't very well at all but no one apart from my teachers had understood what was going on my parents were so i loved them but they were kind of preoccupied preoccupied with what was going on Mm. um and i get it totally get it like looking back as an adult i totally understand where they were um and i just got more and more sick basically and Mm. um Sort of fast forward to through school that I was bullied really badly and people used to hit mm. me and call me names and I mean I know that feels kind of like really just normal and it kind mm. of was for me like that's really normal and then I got to university and things just got worse and worse and worse and um, I kind of got to the point where I tried to kill myself mm. um, that wasn't great um, and at that point they were like oh has you got borderline personality disorder what's going on and I still didn't have a great relationship with my parents but I think what kind of happened was I kind of swallowed that relationship with my parents somehow like even though it had been really difficult through their divorce and my mother had blamed me a lot for what happened even though it wasn't my fault and we'd had a really really fractious relationship and then I kind of realized it hadn't been my fault and that's when the healing process started and that healing process has been really really long like Mm. it's been a lot of like okay these are the reasons why you feel that way these are the reasons what happened and like Mm. that's how that's made that feel and like this is why you feel abandonment and this is why you feel all these bad things um and then like working through that to the point that now I'm really lucky I have a good relationship with my family I have a good relationship with my siblings and I'm in a happy marriage and to the fact that I'm at that point now where I genuinely didn't think I could ever ever get to through 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 therapy through like medication but also through just like helping myself through that and and getting to the point where I realized and recognized things in myself and my own triggers and Mm. that was 
really, really, really interesting and empowering. And I still now write my music about all of the things that I felt and experienced through mm. all of that time from like 12 years old all the way up. And that helps me process and it helps me understand them even more because every time I write something down, every time I put something in a song, I feel that emotion over again. Mm. And it's for me really incredible. So yeah it's been a journey definitely <laughs> yeah yeah thanks for being so candid with that um do you do you feel then that you were in a sense driven to to express yourself through music because of what went on you know in your childhood and, and after that in a sense that you had harnessed all these feelings and you needed an outlet a, a creative outlet as well at that yeah I, I did I think that I was always going to be quite loud. Right. <laughs> there, were, there were like stories from my parents when I was really little, and you just used to like four years old running around restaurants singing along with all the songs. So oh, I was always going to be a performer, I think. Yeah. But I think that I needed a way of expressing how I was feeling. And to me, it felt like the most natural way of expressing it. And what I found through the years of writing stuff and putting stuff out there, and like certainly while we've got like traction in the music now, is that other people feel the same. And I don't feel like I'm alone anymore. I feel like I'm writing something on behalf of lots of other people mm. not in a like oh I'm so important way but in like I'm writing something and other people understand it and it makes them feel better which mm. really makes me ha make me happy well that's that's one of the essences of, of I guess songwriting isn't it that you that you write lyrics and songs that that, that you relate to other people and do you yeah. find do you find you get a sort of a feedback from people um from similar circumstances and backgrounds or what they went through as well yeah it, it's actually been really so I know that in a way is quite therapeutic for you, I imagine. Yeah, therapy. I mean, writing is therapeutic, mm. but to me, it's been kind of heartbreaking for other people to write to me to say, or even like at gigs, come up to me and say, "This song means so much because I was there. I felt like this, and mm. your song stopped me doing something awful." Yeah. And I, I, I find it really hard to take on board that I've helped someone in that way. Like, it's incredible and it's amazing and totally magical. But at the same time, I wish they were never there in the first place, you mm. know? But, I mean, in a way as well, it's also, it must be inspiring to them because if they're feeling some sort of way locked, uh, the inspiration that you're providing would help them go on, on a, a journey of healing. So, in a way, it, it kind of creates a community within yourself and fans that, that you find these sort of shared experiences and then, yeah. you know, you go on a journey of, of healing. Did you, did you yeah. Have you found that, have you? Oh, 100%. Um, and what's really amazing is I feel like I could actually say to, to the fans, I'm having a really bad week. I'm not feeling great. Like, I feel like I'm totally worthless. And I know that sounds like self-serving, but it's not like genuinely I feel like that. I feel bad a lot of the time. And, um, and they are really helpful and really lovely. And it's like we've got this group between us that are actually all really supportive and lovely and helpful with each other and it's actually incredible it's it's genuinely for me something that I could have done with mm. when I was younger when I was at school if I had that group of people that were feeling like that about me it would have made me not feel so bad and the fact mm. that I've managed to nurture that in other people makes me mm. hope that they're not feeling so bad and they're not feeling alone and they're feeling they can talk to each other about these things and that for me is absolutely incredible because that's actually what you need like you are never going to get better you're never going to heal on your own you know 
Yeah. Now, to most people, including myself, um, the idea of performing on stage is, you know, incredibly gutsy. And I imagine some s the same people are asking, well, w someone with these sorts of things that went on in their background and, you know, things like stage fright and whatever, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be asking, how does someone like that get to even perform on stage? How would you get even get there? What would, <laughs> what would your reply be to them? I am a dichotomy of a human being. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, I think, like, I've always been the kind of person that likes to do a, a bit of a show-off and, like, dance around and, like, okay. I, I don't know, I genuinely, there's no better place for me than being on stage, right. singing songs that I've written about what I've gone through and mm -hmm. seeing somebody else in the audience connect with those lyrics and that song mm -hmm. and genuinely feel like, like they've been there as well and mm. I feel like I'm helping that person and I feel like not in a weird way but I just feel like it's a form for me definitely it's a form of therapy like mm. being on that stage and singing about this stuff is a form of therapy for me that's that's my therapy so if other people are hearing that and they're feeling something as well and it's making them feel like oh wow what I feel is actually normal because someone else is feeling that as well mm. that's incredible like that yeah. for me is just I've done my job you know, it's right. like, that's incredible. So genuinely, COVID and the lockdown has been absolutely terrible mm. because singing on stage is my therapy. Yeah. And I've not had it for a really long time. Yeah. So I'm going loopy. Yeah. <laughs> so ju just on that, before I go on to the next point, have you not had the um, opportunity or invite to perform in, in sort of places where they are trying to practice social distancing or... Or these new sort of drive-in sort of venues sort of thing? So we've done a lot of live streaming. We live stream every week from our studio at the house, like right. to everybody on our, our list and everything through Facebook. And, and we say hi, and that's, that's been amazing. And don't get me wrong, it's been absolutely fantastic. But the, there is genuinely no feeling for me like being on stage and actually yeah. connecting with people and making something happen. Mm -hmm. That is a really emotional thing. Yeah. So, so, so from from that, then um, the future of the industry. How does it look from your your point of view, from your eyes? And that um, um, is this the new normal? About because you know, as a big music fan myself, um, yeah. I, I like going for the the atmosphere. You know, uh, people and the acoustics, and 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 I've had this conversation with previous guests and musicians, and and they've all said it. Well, it's going to be a lot different, and it's not going to be the same. Yeah. Um, from from a performer's point of view, what what how does that sound to you? Does it terrify you? Does it sadden oh, yeah. you? Does it? No, it's, I'm not gonna lie, it's completely terrifying, mm. and it's it's horrible to think that that's potentially where we're going. I'm mm. not gonna lie, like it's horrible for me, and I'm sure for most gig goers, it's genuinely horrible as well. They want to be packed in, they want to be feeling that, they want to be singing along and everyone chanting and having a great time because it's about that collective emotional experience going to a gig. Yeah. Um, but you know what? If this is what we have to do to experience live music, then do it because live music is something that you can't replace mm -hmm. by listening to it. Uh, even an LP, like on your record player mm -hmm. or a CD or whatever, or even watching someone set online. Like, it's great. It's a good replacement. But there is nothing like mm -hmm. being in the room while people are playing music. It is above and beyond the most incredible experience True. I think that you can get because you're like oh my god mm. they are playing this live in front of me I'm hearing every single thing that they're doing 
this is right there, right there, like two meters, three meters, whatever, we're away from me. Yeah. They're doing this. And that, even as, a, as, as someone on the stage or as someone who's an audience member, is absolutely incredible from both sides. Yeah. Like everybody, like people on stage and the people that are watching it, love it. It yeah. is a passion. Yeah, I mean, now that we, hearing you express it that way, it does sort of sadden me. And like, if if that's if that experience goes, I mean, I was a I was a gig goer from an early age, and I used to be at the front, you know, all the mosh pits, getting my getting my bruise crushed against the barriers and all that stuff. Um, and then with with my anxiety condition, I've had to take a little step back. But 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 even not seeing that, not witnessing that, I think yeah. I mean, let's just see what happens. Let's hope it's not as bad as what what it yeah. what it seems. Eh? like I think well I say this from my point of view obviously but I think music for a lot of people mm. is something that if you have an anxiety disorder if you have done pressure if depression if you have something going on in your head you will always be able to find a piece of music that actually speaks to you because there's always a musician out there that's had that as well mm. and actually you'll find someone that's written lyrics to you oh wow Oh, do you know what? That's actually exactly how I feel, mm -hmm. and that becomes your mantra. And maybe yeah. they've got over it, and that's mm -hmm. amazing. Well, maybe they haven't, and I, mm -hmm. that's okay too. Mm -hmm. But it's like I just think that with mental health, music is such an impassioned, yeah. and like it's so in line with what you're experiencing. Mm -hmm. Like whatever place you're in, whether you're right at the bottom or whether you're on your way up or whatever, like mm -hmm. it's it's so important. It's such a creative process, yeah. and I think live music. You know, it's not going to go away. Mm. We might have a lull. Things mm. might get different for a while, but mm. it's always going to be there because people need arts. Mm. They mm. need it to make yeah. feel, to make them feel normal, to make them feel human. They need it. Well, it's it's food for the soul, isn't it? Um, oh, it, it, it's what enriches us as people, you know, and it's why I'm in the creative industry as well. Just a quick word, Verity, on on the scene in down in Cheltenham, then <laughs> about about venues and and what you've heard about their future and. Because, of course, you know, talking before I hit the record button to you, you know, we have a lot of fantastic small independent venues up here, which which have been um, a great a great circuit for for many of the musicians I've, I've, I've talked to and interviewed. And, yeah, it, it's looking quite, quite bleak. Um, what, what's it like down there? I mean, I would love to say it was any different, mm. but it isn't. You know, it, it's, it's the same. It, it's just... Everyone wants to open, everyone mm. wants to put on a show, everyone wants to keep supporting the scene, but actually it's just not safe. Yeah. And I think that the majority of venues and the majority of people are not doing anything because they want to make sure that they are mm. safe, that it's okay for everyone that comes there. Mm. And I get it, like, that's that's okay, like, that's mm. normal. And, yeah, okay, so in, like, a year's time or whatever, whatever happens, like, there may be less fans because fans give up because it's been so difficult, and I get it. Yeah. I really get it. Just have to, if you're a musician or if you're a venue, whatever, you you just got to be stubborn and, like, mm. put your spurs in the ground and go, okay, do you know mm. what? This is really, really, this yes. is really difficult. It's going to be hard for a while, mm. but I want to be there when this comes out. Yeah. I want to be there when it gets better, and I want to be there to help people to get through this as well like uh, sure. like I said as a musician I want to be there doing my live streams doing my stuff like it, I can't do a live gig in front of people but I want to be there mm -hmm. to try and make them feel better mm -hmm. I want to be there to go okay it's okay to have these emotions because I have them as well like I just feel like we need the support network of music of the arts more than ever because we're all suffering and actually this is as humankind 
the arts in general is something that is there for our emotions mm. and it's never going to go away it'll always be there it's maybe mm. different but it's tough right now mm. and you've just got to be really strong to mm. get through it mm. something that you mentioned before um before we hit the record button in in sort of pre-chat that we did um you mentioned about um you know panic attacks and work something that i've i've suffered do you yeah. want to just quick sort of uh, insight to to what happened and what was it like? Um, it was actually terrible, yeah. not going to lie. Um, so I've suffered with panic attacks for a, a really long time. And I've had periods where they've been under control and it's not been a problem. Mm. And I've had periods where they've been awful and I've been like having like five a day and mm. I've not been able to leave the house and been completely, completely unable to function. Yeah. Um, I had a really bad resurgence of my panic attacks um, when I moved back to Gloucestershire after being at university. Mm. Um, I went and got a job and it was a good job, good company. Um, I didn't have enough to do and I was having panic attacks because I didn't have enough to do and in my brain I was telling myself that you're worthless because you don't have enough to do and mm. you know that standard stuff like oh you're not very good, you're not working hard enough and all of that guilt. Completely relate to that, yeah, yeah. I got which, guilt for me causes so many panic attacks. Which is why so, I asked because you know, of course, with COVID, I mean, the whole situation regarding work and and workplace environments, it's kind of turned in on it on its head, and I think that's going to yeah. be one of the interesting, um, you know, part of the new normal, I guess, as to what how that's going to turn out um, at the end of this. I mean, we all talk about you know if if happiness is about you know our balance of work and life. Um, you know, more time with family, etc., etc. It'll be interesting to see how how that plays out. I think. Um, more, but back to your music. Um, before we 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 play the track. Um, as a music fan myself, I'm interested to know what your influences were and what you music you listened to. So many. So um, I've listened to music since I was little. Like my parents are musicians, um, not professional oh. necessarily, but they played in cover bands and stuff since I was okay. little. So okay. I've been listening to like. Dire Straits and Fleetwood Mac and loads of Motown stuff and all right. this stuff that was kind of like my background influences when I was right. growing up. But um, certainly, like meeting Alex, we're the half we write together, and it's beautiful because we're both into like 90s kind of rock and grunge and indie mm. and all of that stuff. So, like Nine Inch Nails, Nirvana, Pearl Jam. Tori Amos, but like really melodic stuff as well. So I'm bringing in like I'm really I'm bringing in like Motown and Tori Amos and like all of these girlies things, and he's bringing in like Nirvana and all this stuff. And basically, the music is kind of like a mix between the two. Sounds so. like we would get along because because I was I found my I don't know if there's a better word than meaning with life, but when I listened <laughs> to grunge for the first time, I found it was my it was my thing because I wasn't into sort of like Britpop or anything like that. It was gr yeah. because grunge was progressive is what it was what got me and and uh, yeah. I became a huge music fan because and yes, bands like Nirvana, Pearl Jam were my were my thing. I and think then, they are incredible. Like we've just set up, we've just got a vinyl player and we like literally are buying all of these old nineties vinyls and right. just listening to them because you have to listen to them all the way through. You can't skip. You listen to it <laughs> all the way through and it's a completely yeah. different thing and it's amazing. Great. Uh, I'm fantastic. You said that. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's it's always nice to meet meet fellow grungers. Um, yeah, yeah, we should set, set up set up a, a club or something or something. You know. Um, yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna play your track right before we do that. Um, and I would like to ask you what the track is about. Um, but for people out there who want to know more about yourself and your music, how can they get in touch and how can they listen? So we have 
have a website, which is veritywhite.com. Surprise, mm. that's my name. Mm. Um, <laughs> but also, I'm at VBear on Twitter, at Verity White Band on Facebook, or at Original Verity on Instagram. Cool. All of them, I'm super active because I like being chatty to everyone. So please come and say hi. Great. And about the track that you've yes. kindly allowed us to play, what, 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 so this track it? is from the most recent EP that we wrote in lockdown, mm-hmm. um, and this is called Who I Am, um, and it's about coming to terms with the fact that, yeah, okay, I may have some mental issues, but you know what, I've come to terms with who I am, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. So I thought this was the right song to play today. We will play you that now, listeners. I hope you enjoy, and as Verity says, um, get in touch with her via the via the platforms that you've mentioned. All that's left for me to say is I've been Ricky Thamen. Uh, this has been another episode of Mentally Sounds Life and Lockdown podcast. Um, just a reminder of our social media, we're at um, at underscore Mentally Sound on Twitter, at uh, Mentally Sound Radio on Instagram, and Mentally Sound Radio Show on Facebook. Please do give us feedback, and we'd love to hear from you. And Nikki, our therapist, is gonna, she's confirmed that she is back for the next episode, and we're going to look at... Um, different means of therapies and in particular you know mind body and soul because we, we we had a chat just before i came on air so excellent thank you verity um well i hope to chat you again soon and uh if we're ever back in the studio and you happen to be gigging up uh, newcastle way um you're more than welcome I to drop in love that that'd be <laughs> <Okay>. amazing <laughs> excellent thanks very much for joining us thank you thank you thank you bye don't apologize you know it's pointless every time i try i'm left just what